uh, the things necessarily that we do for God, the actions that we do, but it's what comes out of a heart that's desiring to sacrifice and to please God. And so we looked at that. We also talked about how we're always worshiping. No matter what we're doing, we're always worshiping something. And for us as Christians, the challenge and the difficulty is to make sure that the thing that we're worshiping is Jesus, that he is in that first position in our lives because it becomes easy to be distracted by our jobs, by uh, getting a paycheck, by our, our house and our car and these things that so much, so often we put so much energy into that they sometimes end up in that first position in our lives and Jesus loses out on that. And so we talked about how we need to work hard to make sure that Christ is in that first position. And so this week, we're going to deal a little more specifically with uh, the idea of how we as a church, as the body of Christ, come together and worship God together. Um, How do we do that? What do we do? How do we act? How do we respond um, to what he has told us? Uh, Some of you that are um, close to my age, maybe a little older, probably remember the days where technology wasn't like as big of a part of our lives, right? Like we grew up and most families had televisions in the house and we watched this thing called TV. Um, But uh, for me, it wasn't until I was in middle school that people started like getting computers in their house. Um, And so when I was in middle school, my family got our first computer and it was one of the first laptops that was ever made. It was about four inches thick, like this thick, And we would take that thing and open it up, and the screen was black, and there was orange text, orange letters, orange numbers on it. And really, that's all it was. There were no pictures. There was no sound. There was nothing other than this orange text. And so if you're playing a game, like your game was like text, like in the figure of a person running across the screen. Like this is really low technology. And as I got into high school, people started getting more and more computers um, in their homes. And you know, today, like most of us have like probably three computers in our house. And, and so uh, when I got a little older in high school and was looking forward to college, one of the things that I really wanted to be able to take to college was my own computer. And so I asked my dad about this. And my dad is a brilliant man, especially financially. And so he's looking at this situation and realizing that he's going to have to pay for college for me. And so he says, you know what? Let's make a deal. If you work really hard and get this certain amount of scholarships towards your college, I'll buy you a computer. And uh, for him, this was a brilliant deal because he ended up saving thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and only had to spend several hundred. Um, For me, I'm like, that sounds great. Let's do it. Not even realizing that I was actually on the work end of this whole thing. But I did. I focused my energy. Uh, I worked harder to get better grades. I worked really hard to like pull my ACT score up. So I would like read all the books and was taking all the practice tests um, to where in the end it all paid off. But it was because I was willing to sacrifice so much and put so much energy into making sure that I did really well um, so that I could achieve that goal. And really, worship is a lot like that. It's us being able to put so much else aside to say, we're going to work hard towards one goal. That we have one goal. That all the things we do, 
uh, we're going to sacrifice in those things to make sure that that goal is reached. And our goal as Christians in worshiping the Lord is to see that Jesus is glorified, that he is lifted up. And we make sacrifices. We cut back in other areas and we focus in to make sure that he is in that position. So as we look to Colossians chapter 3, just a little context for you. Um, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church. Now at this time in the Colossian church, there were some people who uh, came to be a part of this church who were teaching some things that weren't exactly correct. They came from kind of like a a mystical background, really ritualistic. And and what they were doing is trying to merge like the Christian gospel with these like mystical teachings that they had. And so they started trying to teach this conglomeration of what they felt like the gospel was. And Paul, in writing this letter to the Colossians, is like, Guys, I need you to focus in on the pure, simple gospel that I proclaim to you. And so he spends a lot of the book of Colossians talking to them about what the gospel is. And as we move into chapter 3, really, he, he starts to talk to them about how the gospel should work itself out in their lives. And worship is a big part of this for the Colossian church. How they, as a body of Christ, should come together and worship God. And he begins by talking about things that they need to push out of their lives that they don't need to have as a part of their lives. But then, uh, moving on in verses 12 through 17, where we're going to look, he talks about a list of things that they need to have as a part of their lives that can help them worship the Lord together. So let's look at Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and get a picture of what Paul is saying um, to the Colossian church. He says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The first thing that I want us to see in looking in verses 12 and 13 is that we need to worship as a community. It's not something that we're left to do on our own, but it's something that God has called us to do together. Paul uses really three terms for the Christians that he's writing to in Colossians here. He calls them God's chosen ones, saying you're not just some random person, but God is actually, um, he has sought after you. He has gone after you. He's rescued you from the sin that you're in, and he's pulled you up out of that and given you a hope. He has chosen you. Uh, He also says about them that they're holy, that through the work of Jesus, their sins have been forgiven as Jesus died on the cross and put sin to death. And they have been given the holiness and the righteousness of God through the work of Christ. And then lastly, he calls them beloved. The fact that God loves them, that he has given so much of himself just so that they can be a part of his family. Paul does this for a reason. If we're going to respond to God in action, it's important for us to understand first who we are in God and why we respond to him. 
See, worship is a reflection of what God has done already in our hearts. We worship God because God has done so much for us. And so he tells them several things that they need to put on in their lives. He says, have compassionate hearts. Be people of compassion. People who look and and see people who are struggling and who are in trouble and are reaching out to them and loving them and taking care of them. Be people who are compassionate. Be kind. Be people who uh, instantly have a smile on their face. Carry around this joyful spirit. And this just general excitement about what God has done. And and that should come out in our expressions to each other. In our love to each other. Kindness. Humility. In Philippians 2, we find out that Christ is really the model of humility. That he humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And we are to be imitators of Jesus. So we are to be humble as well. Then he says meekness. Meekness is just this idea that, that we're not people who are harsh. It's tied in with humility, but we are people uh, who are kind and who are loving, um, who have a meek spirit about us. And then patience, bearing through difficulty, being willing to hang on and to hold on, uh, even when people around us are maybe doing things that we don't love. In verse uh, 13, he talks about how we need to bear with one another. To me, this is one of the more difficult ones, because I think a lot of times we as a community— Um, We may see people in our community who are struggling, and sometimes it's easier not for us to get our lives messy by actually helping them through those things. Sometimes we may have a disagreement with someone in the context of the body of Christ. And in that case, sometimes we want to say, well, I'm not willing to do what they're doing. I don't want to head down that path as well. But Paul's saying that we need to bear with each other. We need to, even though we might disagree on some things, we need to be willing to move forward together because... What binds us together as Christians is so much stronger than what tears us apart. But sometimes our tendency is to focus on those things that disrupt us, that pull us apart. Where the gospel is so much greater and so much stronger that we should be willing, that we might disagree sometimes, to continue to move together in the work that God has called us to do. And then he talks about how we need to be willing to forgive If you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other because God has forgiven you. Again, we're imitators of Christ. Christ has forgiven us and our brokenness and our sinfulness. And we need to respond and be willing to forgive each other. No matter what we've done to say, I'm willing to forgive you so that we can move forward with this. It's it's an interesting list. We look at this and we're expecting for Paul to say, Christians, I need you to have these things as a part of your life. Like the things that I would naturally think about would be things like spend more time in the word of God, spend more time in prayer with God. I would expect these like personal things. How can I work on my relationship with Jesus? But what Paul pushes the Colossian church to, all of these things are relational They're all about how they deal with each other, how they encourage each other, how they love each other through difficulty and through hardship. Um, I'm not a huge reality TV fan. I know some of you guys don't believe me at this point because last week I used an example from reality TV and this week I'm doing it as well. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'm really not. I don't watch a lot of it, but there's one show that I, I kind of watched and I noticed along the ways that, and you guys probably know this, if you watch reality TV at all, sometimes there are shows where you end up having like these teams who work together to accomplish an end goal. 
And so you see this in Survivor, even though it falls apart at the end. You see it in, like, The Amazing Race. Um, but the show that I really, like, loved watching was this show called The Colony. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before, but basically what they do is they take a group of people and they drop them into this disaster area. And so they're living in like what's supposed to be a post-apocalyptic world where this huge natural disaster or something has just happened and everybody is just trying to survive. And so you have a diverse group of people who are dropped in the middle of a city where no one is living anymore. And so they have all these buildings and stuff around them. And they're basically just dropped off and they're like, live, survive off of whatever is still here. And so this, these people basically have to scavenge around to find shelter, to find food, to try and work together as a team to accomplish what they need to accomplish. And it's really interesting to see how they do it. Um, they've got to figure out where to get food. And sometimes that's not always the easiest thing. They might find a few cans on a shelf, but eventually that's going to run out. And then all that they have left are the rats that are running around through their building. And so they either have to be really creative or they have to eat the rats. And they eat the rats and it's disgusting. Um, They also have to figure out how to respond because sometimes they send these groups in to like attack them and to try and steal their resources or um, still their building. And so they have to figure out what to do, how to respond to that. Um, Because of the fact that the people who make up this group are so diverse, they have nurses, they have teachers, artists, engineers, um, you name it, like this group has probably got someone who knows how to do something. Um, These people like build flamethrowers and all kinds of crazy stuff to protect themselves. And it's really entertaining to watch. Um, And so they're creative about these things. Um, They've even figured out, like, when they don't have power, how to create uh, a thing that will get them solar power or wind power so that they can have electricity. It's really fascinating to see a group of people come together and try and survive in a situation like this. And I think about sometimes us as the body of Christ. And God has called us together in community. Just like the people on the show are successful because they work together. Um, we are going to be so much more successful if we're willing to move forward together in the community that God has called us to. But in the colony, when dissension comes in and arguments come in and problems creep in, that's when nothing happens. It's when they're not able to accomplish any goals. And it's just the same for us as the body of Christ. So we may look at this, look at this list that Paul has given us in Colossians 3 and say, well, I get that. It's relational. It's about community. But what in the world does it have to do with worship? And I want to tell you guys that as we look at this list and see how God desires for us to work together, we've talked a lot about how worship is a part of everything that we do. God wants his people to be united. He wants us to be moving forward uh, together. And if we are coming to him with a heart, the desires to please him like we're talking about last week, realizing uh, all that God has done for us before. And we respond by loving each other, caring for each other, moving forward together. Then this is incredible worship. And what's great about it is that outside community begins to look in and notice that God's doing something when we come together and work together. If we were a church who was so on fire to worship God 
by loving each other in the context of community, we could have three services in here on Sunday morning and we wouldn't be able to contain all the people who would be coming and wanting to experience the great community that God has pushed us to. Our worship multiplies when it happens in the context of community. Jesus talked to his disciples in Matthew chapter 18 and they're trying to figure out how to deal with sin that creeps up inside of the church. And what Jesus tells them when working, after working through those issues, as he says this, he says, when two or more of you are gathered in my name, I'm going to be there. Jesus values us being together. We talked a lot about last week, the gospel is supposed to be lived out in community. Our worship starts in our heart, but it comes out in our community. And people notice that, they pay attention. Secondly, in verses 14 and 15, We need to learn how to worship with love. He says in verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the greatest characteristic that we can have as Christians. If we can get love down, then all this other stuff starts falling into place. If you look in 1 Corinthians 13, you'll find out about love. You'll see that there's faith, there's hope, there's love. But the greatest of these is love. Love stands out above everything else. In fact, love is the greatest characteristic of God. God is love. We see that. That God is love. It is his greatest characteristic, his mercy, his grace. Everything else about him pours out of the fact that love is who he is. And we, as imitators of God, are to have that as our greatest characteristic as well, to be people who are loving. Love binds us together. Even though we might have disagreements, even though we might have arguments, love keeps us together. In verse 15, he talks about peace. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Peace is to be the norm for us as we worship the Lord, for people to know that as they come to the church at Cane Bay, to any church, that peace is what we have as our norm, not battles, not wars, not fights, not arguments, but because of the gospel, And because each of us have been changed by the work of Christ, we are to have peace and love be the norm of what holds us together. And he talks about then that we should be thankful. Guys, that's what worship is. It's being thankful. We're going to talk a lot about today the gospel. Realizing that it's the gospel that allows us to love. That it's the gospel that allows us to have peace. And ultimately, it's because of the gospel that we are people who are thankful. That we have thankfulness in our lives and in our hearts. It's the epitome of what worship is. Realizing that there is a God who has created us. A God who has saved us. A God who sustains us, blesses us. We respond to him for all that in thankfulness and in love to God and to each other. You see this in Acts chapter 2 in such a real way, where you see a church and a community of people who are loving each other so well that they're sacrificing. If they have something, they're sacrificing it so that if someone else needs it, that they can have it. 
And they do it so well that the outside community begins to look in and take notice of this group of people who love each other so well. And the Bible says that they had favor with all people and that day after day, people were being added to their number because of the fact that this was a group of people who knew how to worship with love. They knew how to love each other in an incredible, incredible way. Emily and I... A couple of years ago, a few years ago, got to uh, see kind of this in action. We took a group of students to Siberia, which is just about as far away as you can get from here without coming back. And so it's really far away. Uh, If you don't know where Siberia is, it's basically the eastern portion of Russia. And it's huge. It's bigger than the United States. It's gigantic. And uh, it's where... uh, Back in the day, they exiled like all the smart people so no one would ever throw uh, the government they had going on. And so we went out to this big city out in the middle of nowhere in Siberia, and uh, we're working with this church who was there. Um, Now, communism in Russia fell in the early 90s, and when that happened... Um, missionaries and churches and the gospel were able to really reach out into Russia with uh, the good news of Jesus. And so when that began, we started to see the gospel spread like wildfire in Russia. And it's neat to go and see this church that we worked with, that it has become kind of like a hub for planning other churches, for training pastors to go and plant new churches. Uh, It's incredible to work that God is doing through that church. But they've really taken ownership of this idea. And because I think the gospel is so new to them, because many of them are hearing it for the first time, they haven't just grown complacent and accustomed to it, but it has become something that is so real in their hearts that they can't help but to live it out in everything that they do. And so we see this church um, stepping out and going to the orphanages in their areas and adopting as many kids as they can out of there. Loving on these kids, loving on the community, loving on the people around them. And their community has noticed it so well that they've even given them the building that they worship in. The government has given them this building to worship in because they're doing such a great work of expressing the love of God to the community that is around them. We saw men there. Guys who have been through so much in their lives, who have been beat up, um, who have just been torn down by so much, so much addiction, so many difficulties. And they now, in the summer, pretty much take the whole summer off so that they can spend time with their kids, teaching them about the love of Jesus, sacrificing um, for what is so incredibly important. One of my favorite stories is about a guy who was... In their town, uh, the local mob boss. This is a guy who ruled the town. Uh, He had the whole thing in his pocket. And um, as you see this guy, we got to meet him. Um, He has like a broken nose because he's been in so many fights. He's got a lot of gold teeth because they're gone from fights. He's like missing part of his ear because someone like ripped it off. This is a tough dude, right? And everybody in this town was afraid and fearful of who he was. But this church didn't let that stop them from showing him the love of Jesus. And so they reached out to him and they loved on him. And eventually he came to faith in Christ. And today he's the pastor of this church. An incredible work of the gospel because these people realize, you know what? God has called us to love. We want to reflect that love and we want to love people and show them how real the gospel is. Can you imagine? 
if we became a community that was so committed to that, like we see in the book of Acts, like we saw in Siberia. And guys, the good news is we have incredible glimpses of that. Our missional communities are doing amazing work in our community. And I love hearing week after week as, as uh, we have groups that are serving the schools, as we're, uh, our kids are working with firefighters, um, loving on them and encouraging them as we have um, groups that are, are working a new one with an assisted living facility. We have people who are working with, with military families in our community, uh, reaching out to Eagle Harbor Boys Ranch, a foster home, a group that's doing incredible work in the context of an apartment community, making sure that people see the love of Jesus. It's great to hear stories about what's happening, but what's even better is to hear stories from the actual community and the people who are being loved saying, I feel the love of God through you. And we've heard that over and over and over again. And so we're moving in that direction. We're doing what we need to be doing, guys. And here's what we need to understand. Real love is worship. God loved us. He poured out his life for us. He gave everything for us. And we are to be imitators of that kind of love. And when we choose to love the people that God has put us with, they see the gospel maybe for the first time, and they have the chance to respond to that. Guys, that's what worship is, giving people an opportunity to respond to the good news of who Jesus is. Our love is only going to be an imitation of the best love ever, the love of Jesus, but we need to do our best to still imitate. Thirdly, verses 16 and 17, worship in everything. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's talking about the words that came out of the mouth of Jesus, the words that were spoken about who Jesus was. Ultimately for us, it's the gospel. It's the good news of who Jesus is. Those are the things that need to be in our hearts, the things that need to be on our tongues, that we need to be reflecting on who Christ was, what Christ did for us, but not just internally. It needs to be coming out in our lives as well. When we reflect on the gospel, we can't help but worship because of the gospel. If we're really understanding all that God has done for us, Our reflection on that can't help but be glorifying him. He talks about how we need to let it dwell in us richly, but then we need to make sure that we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Again, it's not just something for us to hold in here. It's something for us to share. It's something for us to encourage each other with. I know we've said this before, but a lot of us have this belief that the gospel was important When we came to know Christ for the first time, when we were regenerated, when we were made new, that that's when the gospel was important for us. And that now we're moving forward and we're thankful for the gospel, but it's not as big of a deal. And that is as far from the truth as it could be possible. Because the gospel is still at work in our hearts day after day. We're still sinners. We still make mistakes. And it's still the work of Jesus that allows us to be forgiven and that makes us more and more like him every day. And I don't know about you guys, but that makes me excited to know that I'm not left on my own. 
but that God's work is still happening in my heart and in my life. It fires me up and it makes me want to glorify him more and more and more every day. We worship God because of the gospel. Then he talks about where most of us typically fall when we're thinking about worship. And he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Man, it was so encouraging this morning to be a part of a community of people who are lifting high the name of Jesus, realizing that Jesus paid it all for us and that we have an opportunity with our lives to reflect his love back to him and so that others can see and know who he is. That's such an incredible honor. And so I want to just be honest with you guys and, and have a, a frank discussion about this for a few minutes. Because I know a lot of times we come and we're kind of hesitant to sing. We're afraid for whatever reason. It, we might not like our voice. And we might not appreciate how we look to others uh, when we're singing. But for whatever reason, sometimes we're afraid to open up and worship God and sing these words out of our mouth. And from what Paul says here, we as Christians, as the body of Christ, need to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's the reason? Why do we need to do that? A lot of us have an understanding that when we're singing these songs to God, that we're focusing our attention towards him, that we're being thankful for the work that he's done in our hearts. And so we're saying, God, thank you for that. I'm reflecting this back to you. This is a moment between me and you. But the truth is, I think when we believe that, sometimes it's easy for us to sit back and not sing because we say, I can have those thoughts in my heart. I can keep that to myself. But we miss out on the opportunity that God really has for us. We don't just sing directly to God. But according to what Paul's saying here, we sing to encourage each other with the gospel. We don't just sing directing completely to Christ. We sing so that the people who are around us can hear the good news of who Jesus. They can, they can hear that Jesus paid it all. They can hear that I have a heart that has been changed by the work of Christ and I want to glorify him. I want to pour out everything for him. And guys, it's so important that we understand that us actually singing actually matters. Paul desires for us to do it. God desires for us to do it. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. He wants us to vocally sing to him, to vocally glorify to him. Let me tell you why this is so vital. You might be sitting next to someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And if they look to you while we're worshiping and while we're singing and see that you're standing there, and that you're focused in on what's happening, but there's nothing coming out of your mouth and there's no expression of joy on your face, then for them, it doesn't look like anything in your life has changed. But if they look to you and they see someone who is singing the words, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, with a heart of passion, and a desire to glorify God, then they look at you and they see something that they want and that they desire. We sing the good news of Jesus to each other to encourage each other. Our worship to God is actually a part of our mission. 
And it's so important that we understand that we're not just singing for ourselves, but we're singing for the glory of Christ to be made known. And it's our responsibility to make sure that the glory of Christ is made known to our community, in our church. And we have got to have the boldness to say, even though I'm scared to sing, even though I hate my voice, the glory of Jesus is so much more important than my fear. Guys, we have got to be bold in singing to him. We can't afford not to. Today, I want us to have a great boldness as we sing. Lastly, we need to to be doing all these things in the name of Jesus. He mentions, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the summary of worship. Whatever you do, whatever your action is, whatever your song is, whatever your love is to each other, do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Jesus is the object of our worship. The gospel pushes us to worship. The reason that our worship is often so small is because our appreciation for the gospel is small. But if we learn to appreciate the work that God has done in our life, our worship will explode. It'll be huge. Let me tell you a story. There's a tribe in Papua New Guinea. They're called the Mook tribe. And in the Mook tribe, um, we found uh, a bunch of people who had never heard the good news of Jesus before. But they were people who worshipped spirits. They were fearful of these spirits. They were a harsh people. They were a violent people. You saw over and over again that um, to men, the women were only there to birth kids. And as soon as they had children, they were kicked out of the house and they had to go live off on their own where the men um, stayed and, and lived in much nicer accommodations. There, there was a lot of abuse that was happening. Uh, it was a bad culture. It was, things were not incredible. And a missionary decided that he had the boldness to go in and teach the good news of Jesus to them. And so he did something that's really cool. He walked into this group and he started with just a few, a few of the men and said, do you guys mind if we meet together every day and I get to tell you the greatest story that's ever been told? And so basically he met with them twice a day, every day of the week and began to teach them for an hour, two hours a day, the entire Bible walking from beginning to end. And so he walked through the Old Testament. He let them know that they were sinners and that there was nothing they could do to save themselves. He let them know that there had to be a blood sacrifice for their sin so that they could be forgiven. And these people began to, to, to comprehend what's happening and understand and, and get really wrapped up into the story of Scripture. And so it got to the point where they moved to the New Testament. And it wasn't just a few guys that he was meeting with anymore, but the whole tribe came in every day as he taught for two hours and heard about Jesus who came and who served and who loved. And they began to see him as a hero and someone for them to look up to. And then they got to the point where Jesus was crucified. And the missionary got some of their people together and put together a sketch so that they could see and understand what was exact, exactly happening. And as Christ was killed, 
You can see the expressions just drop on their face, realizing that all the hope that they had had in this, in this guy was gone in his death. But the missionary did something incredible. He taught them the gospel. And he said, Jesus came and he died for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could experience peace with God in a real way. And I've got a video clip of uh, the response of them. Two and a half hours, these people who had heard the gospel for the first time rejoiced, sang, danced in the streets because they understood what the work of Jesus meant for them for the first time. We get together and we do well if words come out of our mouth and that breaks my heart. Guys, we've forgotten what the gospel means to us. That it means that we have hope, that we have forgiveness, that we have joy, that we have life, that we have love because of what Christ has done for us. Can you imagine if we were a people who got that excited about what Christ has done? If we were a people who were so thankful for the gospel, would we be able to keep it in? Would we be able to even hold back? John Piper, pastor, said one time, where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. Where we have no understanding of who God is and how much he loves us, we can't respond to him in worship because we've forgotten. Here's the bottom line for us this morning. To worship as a gospel community, we must be affected by the gospel. God has called us to worship together as a group of people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, who are thankful for the work that he's done in their hearts, in their lives. But we can't worship together until we appreciate what God has done for us. When the gospel becomes real to us, our worship becomes real to God. Guys, this is our response to him. The worship team's going to come on up and, and we're going to have an opportunity to sing and to glorify Jesus. And I know that this morning you might be sitting in your seat and you might be saying, 
I just don't know. I hear all this and I'm into it. I'm excited. I like, I want to glorify Jesus. I want to sing to him. I want the gospel to be made known through my life, but I don't know how to do it. In fact, I'm a little afraid. Or you could be saying, I want to feel like that, but I don't. I'm sitting here and I believe that Jesus gave himself for me. I want to be this thankful to him for what he's done, but I don't know how to do it. What do I do? Three things. One, keep worshiping. If your heart's not there yet, realize that God has still called you to worship him. And as you sing these songs and these words about the hope and the love of Jesus come out of your mouths, not only are you glorifying him and teaching others, but you're also teaching yourself about what Christ has done for you. Two, pray for joy. Say, I don't have the joy of my salvation anymore but I want it. Pray to God that he would make himself so real to you that you couldn't help but be joyful about what he has done for you. And then you respond in great hope and love and joy. Thirdly, fall in love with the gospel. Fall in love with what Christ has done for you. Spend time in his word, reading, meditating, taking the time to let it sink in, listening to what God has for you. And then learn how to worship God by yourself. Learn how to be joyful for that. There might be someone sitting next to you this morning who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And I hope as they hear this, as you're here this morning and maybe you're in that position, you say, I don't even understand the gospel, much less know how to fall in love with it. I pray that today you can hear how much God loves you, how much Christ has done for you, And that you have a desire to respond to that. Uh, As we sing in a few minutes, I'll be standing back here. David will be standing back here. And we would love the chance to tell you the gospel. And allow you to be able to respond to the work that Christ has done on your behalf. But for all of us this morning. Church, we've got to get excited about Jesus. We have got to get excited about the fact that God has brought us from death to life. He's brought us from hopelessness to hope. He's brought us from people who had no chance of making it on our own to giving us all that we need to love, to live, to survive. And as Christians, we have the responsibility to love him back for that. He loved us so much and we need to move forward in love and worship. And so I pray that as we sing in a moment that we're not timid, that we're not fearful, that we sing louder the good news of Jesus than we've ever sung before, that this room reverberates and is full of the Spirit of God as His people know and understand and rejoice in the fact that we have been made new. Guys, there's so much hope in that. Let's let it out. Let's sing it out. Let's let people know Jesus loves, Jesus saves. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of the cross. And I pray that it sinks in our heart and our lives so deeply this morning that we can't help but respond to you with all that we have. God, that we'll love you, that we will sacrifice, that we will put ourselves aside to say, you are the most high, you are the most important, and all that we do, we do for your glory. God, we thank you that you love us. And I pray Lord, that we learn to love you back well.
Christ's name. Amen.